The epistle is from 1 Peter chapter 2. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. To this you have been called. To this you have been called. It's kind of an odd place to begin our epistle lesson. To what have you been called? We don't get the answer in today's reading. We actually get it in next week's epistle lesson. We go back to the verses before, but that's what we're going to talk about today. What you have been called to and what it means to have been called. Let's start with that. You have been called. What does that mean? We use that kind of language all the time to talk about people who are summoned to action. You've been called to action. A player in the minor leagues gets called up to play in the MLB. An EMT, or any of you who are sitting here with a pager in your pocket, can be called at any point to go to an emergency. There's a fire. Somebody's hurt. You are called to action. Or, say, a mother who has her ears tuned to the voices of her children. She could be called. Mom! At any moment, called to action, called to help, called to do good. You have been called, and it is like that. It is not a generic kind of action. It's not just an open invitation to whoever might volunteer, but it is a call specific to you. It's your name that is called. It's your pager that goes off. It's your number that's been called up. It's the voice of your children that is echoing. It's your shepherd who knows you by name, and he is calling you. You specifically, not you generically, not all of you, the whole lot of you together, but you individually. He is calling you. To what? We get the answer from the previous verse, the verse that comes just before the beginning of our epistle lesson. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. Peter says, For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it and endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It's very simple, what you have been called to. You've been called to do good. Now, St. Peter sets the stage in the verses before. Listen for this again next week when we hear the whole reading. But you have been called out of darkness and into light. That's the context for this calling, for this goodness. Out of darkness and into light, out of death, out of the grave, into life, out of eternally dying, into eternally living, out of death in Satan to life in the Son of God. That's what you've been called to. From aimlessness, from spinning your wheels, from going nowhere fast, you've been called to purpose, to a mission, to goals, to a life that has a point. You've been called from despair to hope and eternal hope, a hope that does not put to shame, a hope that is bound up in everything that Jesus accomplished. That's what you've been called to. It is not mysterious. 
So often, callings are thought to be mysterious. Many times, Christians kind of get bent out of shape, wondering, wondering what their calling is. And they look in all kinds of places. They look in their hearts. They look outside of them. They look to what other people have to say. They hope for some sign, some miracle, in order to decide what they've been called to. But it's really very simple. There's no mystery here at all. Christ has called you to do good, to live honorable and good lives, and to be free. That is what he has called you to. Wherever you are, this is the key. Christ has called you, your good shepherd has called you to do good wherever you are, which is to say wherever he has placed you. And what does it mean to do good? That's one of those things that gets so easily corrupted in our world. The devil loves to take godly things and spoil them turn them upside down. You see that all around you in what the devil has done with love. Turned it upside down. Turned it from what it ought to be, putting someone else first, and made it to what it ought never to have been, putting yourself first. The devil spoils the good things of God, and he's done that with the notion of good. He loves to take good and turn it into evil. In fact, that is one of the indictments against God's people in the Old Testament. He says, you call evil good and good evil. What could be worse than that? So here are some things that good does not mean. It's not simply what looks good. When you've been called by your good shepherd to do good, he does not mean what looks good, what other people will think of as good, what other people will praise or give you a claim for, what will get you credit. He doesn't care about any of those things. That's not what is truly good. He certainly hasn't called you to what feels good. Your flesh is full of lies. And you cannot reliably trust yourself to tell you what is good. Your flesh will tell you that things feel good that are, in fact, quite wicked. So you cannot, you cannot say you are doing good when it feels good. Neither can you only do good to those who do good in return. Jesus says that. He says even sinners, even the pagans, wicked people know that it pays off to do good to people who will return the favor. That's not what goodness is. That's not what you've been called to do. Neither have you been called to do what is good for you. Putting yourself first, taking care of number one, none of those things is what it means for you to be called to do good. That's how the devil corrupts it. You see how many options he has before you, all kinds of ways that you can think you are doing good when in fact you're just listening to the liar, listening to that murderer who wants to take you away from Christ. Here's what is good. It is whatever brings glory to God and benefits your neighbor. Doing good means glorifying God and benefiting your neighbor. Notice how little you have to do with that equation. What small role you have to play in what amounts to good. You're just the agent of good. You're not the recipient of it when it comes to your calling. Christ has called you to do good. That is, to think about what will glorify God and what will benefit your neighbor and not at all in the least what will be beneficial to you. That's a tall order. And if it sounds impossible, I think that you've assessed it correctly. How could anyone do that? How can anyone live their whole life glorifying God and serving their neighbors and never thinking about themselves, never asking what will be good for me, never at any point kind of throwing up your hands and saying, well, look, if nobody's going to take care of me, then I've got to take care of myself. How easily... How easily we fall into that trap of letting the devil tell us 
the good really isn't so good. Like he said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, look that fruit. That looks delicious. That looks good for eating. It's good to make you wise. It's good. He repeats the word good over and over again when in fact the only good for Adam and Eve is simply to trust the words of their creator. That would have been good. That would have been beneficial. That would have been a blessing to them and to the whole world. But doing good can seem too big. And sometimes we get trapped in thinking there's too much good to do. How could I possibly do all of it? But again, God's calling to you is not mysterious, and it is not vague, it is not abstract, it is specific, and it is attainable, it is tangible, it's right in front of you. So God has called you to do good wherever you are, wherever you are, which is again to say wherever God has placed you. That is to say, God has called you to serve the people he has placed in your life. Notice how this works for the shepherd. What makes that shepherd good? It's that he lays down his life for his sheep. It's that he protects them from wolves and lions and bears and from thieves. It's that when an enemy comes, he doesn't take off running. He's not like a hired hand, but he lays down his life for them. They are his focus. They are the ones to whom he is devoted. That is what makes him good. He is living his life and giving up his life for his sheep. And that's where you can begin to see That's where you can begin to see some of the suffering that St. Peter is talking about. He says it's a good thing, a gracious thing in the sight of God when you do what is good and endure the suffering that you will encounter. A shepherd suffers when he has taken care of his sheep, most of all when he lays down his life for them. Notice how that is not any of those fraudulent kinds of goodness. He's not just doing that for show. He's not laying down his life because it looks good. He's certainly not doing it because it feels good. He's absolutely not doing it because it's good for him or because his sheep will repay him. Why does the good shepherd, why does Christ lay down his life for the sheep? Because he loves them. Because they belong to him. Because they're his. Because they've been given to him by his heavenly father to do good, to serve, and to care for. That's what the good shepherd does. Now, you can suffer for all kinds of reasons, and St. Peter tells us that you will certainly suffer if you sin. If you do what is not good, if you do what is evil, if you do wicked things, you will suffer. That's a no-brainer. But he says, that's no credit to you. If you suffer, you don't get to hang your hat on that suffering and say, hey, see, I'm suffering. God should love me for that. He should say, this is a gracious thing. No, if you suffer for doing what is evil, not for doing what is good, that is no credit to you. But... If, like the good shepherd, you suffer for doing what God has called you to do, if you suffer for love, if you suffer for serving, if you suffer for and caring for those to whom God has entrusted to you, caring for those God has entrusted to you, that is a gracious thing in God's sight. How does that look for you? I think Martin Luther gives us one of the most helpful paradigms for this when he asks how we should think about the commandments. Consider your place in life. Where has God put you? Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? That pretty much covers it, doesn't it? Husband, husband, wife, no, father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker. Take your pick. Where do you fit? Among all of those callings, all of those places where God has put you, really, if you think about it, you don't have much choice. That is where you are. And what has God called you to in each of those vocations? He's called you to do good. 
to love those entrusted to your care. So for parents, it is very simple. Train your children in the fear of the Lord. Raise them up in godliness. Provide for all of their physical needs. Teach them to be godly adults. That's what parents do, and they suffer for it, don't they? They suffer for it as they have to discipline their children, as they have to wrestle against the flesh inside their children. Of course, it would be no credit to parents if they suffered when they neglect their children and their kids become unruly and disobedient because the parents have not cared for them. That's no credit to them. But if when parents do good to their children and suffer for it, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That is what he has called them to or husbands and wives. Again, you can see the picture here. There's all kinds of ways you can sin in marriage, and if you suffer for it, that is no credit to you. But if when you do good to your spouse, when you do good to your husband or wife, not just what feels good or looks good or what is good for you or what will be returned with goodness, but if you simply do good, if you serve, the one that God has placed into your life, the one to whom you have committed yourself, and you suffer for it, That is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Or if you are a worker, there's all kinds of suffering that comes along with work. That's what labor is. It's a kind of suffering. You might suffer. You might suffer for cheating your boss. You might suffer for being lazy or negligent, and that is no credit to you. But if when you work hard and you do what has been entrusted to you, if you are faithful to your employer, if you work to benefit those around you, and you suffer for it, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Or take children. Children are called also to obey their parents, to honor and serve them, to love and cherish them. There's all kinds of suffering that is attendant to that because, of course, children receive discipline. It's painful to be a child. But if enduring that, they do good. That is, saying, my parents have been given to me by God to obey. And when I suffer for it, it is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That is to their credit. That is glorious. That is what they have been called to do. And that, that is what pleases God. You can see how contrary this is to the way our world works. Our world says that when you suffer, you should quit whatever it is that you're doing. That you have been called to whatever it is that your heart desires. You shouldn't listen to what anyone else tells you, much less should you listen to what God says about what is good. That your relationships, being a father or a mother or a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife or a worker, those are really just kinds of oppression. Things that are being forced on you from the outside, you should throw off those shackles and you should do good to yourself. That's what the world says. But God says something completely different. And here's why you should listen to him. Because he sent his son to do that very thing for you. Listen again to what St. Peter says. To this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. This is a key that cannot be overlooked. It makes sense to think about all kinds of callings that you might have in life, but the key for you here today is that it is Christ. It is Christ who has called you to certain things. It is Christ who has called you to do good wherever you are, wherever he has placed you. It is Christ who is the good shepherd who knows his own, and his own know him. It is Christ who knows you by name and calls you by name, who has numbered the hairs on your head. It is Christ who bore your sins to the cross so that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus has come to restore you 
from all of the wickedness and depravity and evil that the devil would entice you to follow. He has come to restore you to goodness, to make possible for you what once was impossible. You see, under the domain of darkness, in the kingdom of the devil, you had no choice but to serve yourself, to merely do what looks good or feels good, or what will get you good in return. But Christ has come to set you free from that, to make you his people, so that you can live as he lived, so that you can sacrifice as he sacrificed, so that you can serve the way he served and be a part of his kingdom. That's what heaven looks like. Our flesh grates against it because our flesh doesn't understand. Our flesh doesn't know what it's like to have someone love us in that way. But here you have it. Christ died for you because he wants you to live. And that is why he has called you. Make no mistake, this calling is for you. I wish I could take a moment and say each of your names individually because this calling is for you individually. Christ has called you to do good. And he is the one who equips you for it. He's the one who blesses you for it. He gives you his spirit for this task. Rejoice and be glad that your Savior has given such wondrous works to you. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia.